Hello, everyone, and welcome to Some Short Stories, a.k.a. the Get Shivered stream. Now, this is something I've been wanting to do for a while, and I figured, you know what? What the heck? We've got a little bit of time before we're going to start up with Murder on the Orient Express, which I am very excited about. Make sure that if you have not taken the Vintage Sidecar tag, what are we doing for the next couple of months? We're going to start with some short stories, and then we're headed into Murder on the Orient Express. So if you're interested in that, remember, you can take or leave tags at any time, go to the Discord, go to the Tags channel, and make sure you've got the Vintage Sidecar tag so you know when these streams are happening, okay? Because you got to make sure you don't... You if, Look, if you want to get shivered, you can't get shivered if you're not here for the shivering. The shivering... <laughs> the, the shivering isn't a bad way to put it, though. <laughs> I kind of like that a little bit. Sander, thank you so very much. Dahlia... Dahlia has been subscribed for eight months. Vintage Sidecar, Side Karaoke, and my subversary, says Dahlia. Heck yes, definitely worth taking a day off for. And I'm glad you did. I'm glad we I'm glad we didn't have to just sort of miss you today. I'm glad you're here. It's wonderful to have you. And uh, Sander has been subscribed for 13 months. Sander, a very early adopter here on Twitch. Um, I mean, that's that's a huge deal. 13 months? Uh, 13 months is basically exactly as long as I've been on Twitch. Um, having the YouTube channel deleted is not my favorite way to celebrate one year on Twitch. But what is going to be pretty good is today, some spooky short stories. Uh, we had someone over in the Discord, I believe it was Courier6, was able indeed to guess one of the short stories we're going to be reading today. Um, was able to guess the Poe short story, um, among a few others. <laughs> you you did mention you sort of shotgunned some some possibilities up there. And hey, look, I have long been a proponent of the blunderbuss method. Just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And you did it. You did well. And to be fair, you only named like three stories. It's not like you named a dozen of them. It's like, ah, it's somewhere in there. Ah, bah humbug. <laughs> Yeah, Dahlia and Sander, I do believe you do share a subversary, but y'all, I think um, this month, now that I'm a little bit more distant from the, the YouTube cataclysm, let's be honest, YouTube just is a cataclysm on, all on its own, isn't it? A month out, we're making good progress on the audio version end, we are making great progress towards some of our other projects, um, it is, I think it's good, it's, it was a good push, frankly, um, I'm gonna go ahead and use this as an opportunity for something good, and this is not typically who I am, this is, I'm not generally a person who's like, hmm, you know what, I don't care what bad thing happened to me, it's all an opportunity, I'm generally not there, but this time, I kind of feel good. Um, I feel good about the opportunity to really kind of refocus my attention on the more more traditional podcast workflow. Traditional air quotes on that sucker, um, Missy. Yes, indeed, you are correct. The Telltale Heart that is going to be that is going to be our um, our Edgar Allan Poe entry for today. I hope you all will enjoy it. It's a classic one. I read it when I was in high school, and I figured, you know what? Let's revisit that one. It'd be a good way to sort of get back into this this mode. Um, but I think, you know, having a chance to move some of this stuff over to Spotify, it is slow going, especially with editing down the older videos. I can't wait till I can just replace them with newer videos. If we, uh, if we get to that point where I can go ahead and dedicate the time to just reread all of Harry Potter, that would be awesome. Um, and then we'll have a, a much easier to edit. I've got, I've got so many more tricks and, and uh, methods now, little flags for myself, etc. that make it so much easier and quicker to edit. So, indeed... Telltale Heart. We're going to be reading that one today, along with a, um, a short story from Lovecraft as well. And this is something I'd love to do more regularly. Um, spooky stories slash mystery stories. I would love to, you know, eventually dedicate a whole stream to it. And I think, frankly, I'm going to have some some kind of goals up on Patreon. Um, some goals that maybe we can hit during... Um, uh, during Book Fair. Remember last week of September? Go ahead over to the Discord if you want more info on that. 
We're going to be having that book fair, and that is going to be the time when I do most of my talking about Patreon. And I'm going to have some Patreon goals up there, and one of them is going to be another stream every single week. Um, and then if we hit that goal, then I would be more than happy to... Uh, to take a vote as to what that is going to be, whether it's going to be like a big sweeping fantasy stream like Lord of the Rings and Dune, that sort of thing, or whether it's going to be like a, uh, a Mystery Monday. I don't know if it'll land on Mondays in particular, but uh, a Mystery Mondays stream, something like that, wherein uh, we read, uh, you know, spooky stories and or mysteries like Sherlock Holmes, uh, Poirot, etc. So, y'all... I hope you're excited for all of it, because I am very excited for all of it. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to use today as a little preview of both um, that potential future stream, but also, I mean, we're absolutely going to do a night where I read some short stories during book fair. Book fair is going to be a, uh, a time when I am just going to have a chance to like do little pilots, little test runs of all sorts of different shows, um, and then just fun stuff that might not ever be a show. But it's something I wanted to try. So, bah, I've got these today. A couple of things I want to tell y'all about today's stream. It's going to be a little different. Jem says, I'm super excited for the Telltale Heart. You just made my night. I am very glad to hear it. It's a very good short story. It's a very good one. Um, and I already know one of his that I'm going to be doing soon as well. I think Cast of Amontillado is probably one of the ones I will read during... Um, uh, during book fair. So, y'all get excited for that. <laughs> we are indeed. We are getting all the excite, says Dahlia. All right, y'all. So, a couple of things. First of all, um, I wanted to do today a little less formally. I didn't want to sort of show up and, and have it be all... Um, uh, like, I, I didn't want to come and have everything already set up. I wanted to do it a little bit more sort of fun with y'all. So, Two things. First of all, I'm not reading from PDFs today. I'm reading straight from the paper, um, like some sort of caveman uh, looking at buffalo pictures on my walls. I'm gonna try it out. We're gonna see how it goes. But secondly, uh, I wanna like I wanna try and find the art with y'all today. I don't know if that seems like fun to you, but it seems kind of like fun to me. So we've got two books here today. Um, what do y'all think? Let's head over to this browser capture. We'll see if I can properly capture my browser at all. Um, I have my doubts. I, of course, listen, I have my doubts. I think I'm adept enough at this now. I can put together these scenes with you live here on here. Uh, oh, okay, look, here's one that I know we're gonna have to use. This one right here. All right, this looks excellent. Uh, Renzo's only read this on Spanish, interesting. Okay, so <laughs> so I'm hearing some of y'all are getting hungry with this story. Excuse me? Why does this story make you hungry? We've had I've had multiple people. So Gems and Dahlia are both saying it makes you hungry. Uh, hola, world. Y'all have a good finish of The Hobbit? Did you decide what's next? Indeed we did. We're going to move on after, um, after The Hobbit. We're moving on to... Um, some short stories, which is what we're starting out with here today. My my face cam is way too big here. You can't see anything of the art I'm trying to grab. So, uh, we're going to throw down with this one a little later. Oh, I got some meatballs in the crock pot. Oh, that sounds good. I wanted to make meatballs last week, and then I sort of realized, like, I don't have it in me to do that this week. <laughs> I don't really have that. I don't have that amount of effort. So, instead, I want a little less... A little less intensity. Look at, look at this one. <laughs> there he is. The man himself, Edgar Allan. Edgar Allan, whoa. Okay. Uh, I hope y'all will forgive that, that terrible joke just now. Um, what do we think? Oh, good grief. You know what? I kind of like this. This is incredibly creepy, so I'm going to go with this one. Meanwhile, what are y'all looking forward to most today here? We've got, we've got Edgar Allan Poe, we've got a mystery Lovecraft story that y'all have not necessarily guessed yet. Which one are y'all looking forward to the most? And why? There we go. We got, we got this great piece of work. Oof. No, he, he is not looking uh, particularly healthy. I wonder if we're... Huh, I wonder if we'll understand anything more about that when we get into the story today. Okay, and I am all set. So, back to the library. 
back to the library to make a quick adjustment on my stupid webcam. Ugh! I'm always all, all wackadoodled. Alright, there we go. Now, with this, everyone, I hope you will enjoy today's spooky short stories. <laughs> no, for real, though, I do hope you enjoy them. Um, because I definitely am going to. I really enjoy... Q, Q intro. This is the intro, alright? This is just the brief intro we're going to do before we go into it. I really enjoy storage... Storch stories. I do. I enjoy them quite a bit. Um, the short stories that I really like um, have included uh, a lot of sci-fi. I've really enjoyed a lot of um, science fiction, especially speculative fiction, sort of um, changing one thing about society and then seeing how that extrapolates out. Things like, um, and, and these are longer versions, I really enjoy short story versions, but these are longer versions of the same genre. Um, uh, uh, things like 1984, Brave New World especially. Um, I really enjoy those. Uh, there's a great short story called And Then There Was One that really kind of opened my mind to how you can really construct a world differently. And we're going to see a couple of folks who have really lived in their own worlds. Um, now, I think there are some there are some distinctions between Poe and Lovecraft. I think whereas Lovecraft generally was one who I think most would agree he was one who invented a world um he enjoyed joking about this world this is not a place that he sort of like dwelt in personally um this is not you know for for hp lovecraft he was someone who invented this it's called mythos um it's this big genre of work that involves uh sort of the the horrors of being so tiny of humanity being such a such a tiny part of time, of space, basically the how small you are is the terror that Lovecraft brings about in this this uh, big sort of um, this you could call it a setting essentially, and a lot of folks have uh, you it, you could call it like a, an RPG setting and play tabletop RPGs there, and a lot of folks have Call of Cthulhu um, and other games like it. So that's Lovecraft and. A note before we start, a deeply bigoted individual, all right? We are here to uh, draw what we can from the work itself and not to appreciate uh, the human for his views, okay? I want to agree on that much. Um, and uh, if not, if, if this is something where you, you simply can't get behind uh, participating in this in any way, um, I hope to see you for another stream, and I understand. Um, but I feel that there are... There are many folks who, I mean, the the term flawed, I think, is going to apply in many ways. And I think um, there are many scales of that from being sort of holding downright despicable views or doing downright despicable things all the way up to um, uh, people who just, you know, have, uh, have more minor flaws. Within all of that, um, I think we, I think we as a, as a, as a species... It is best for us to take from those works what is valuable and leave behind those things that are not. Um, I think uh, I think that's a that is a good way to proceed instead of leaving behind everything that had some sort of problematic component to it or taking all of it and saying no, nope, we have to accept the whole thing. I think we can pick and choose. So Lovecraft, we're leaving the dude behind, but we have got this body of work that we're going to examine. And then, as I mentioned, so he sort of lived outside of that, but he created this world. Um, he would share this world with other authors and, and discuss it with other folks. Um, and like I said, he could joke about it. And then we've got our, our starter for today, our amuse-bouche. I don't actually know what that word means, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pretend I used it properly. Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe is a little bit of a different story. Um, his life was incredibly difficult. Uh, I think it would be interesting at some point to actually go into the history of these authors. Um, maybe that'll be a, maybe that would be a fun series as well. Just like a a not a deep dive, but like a brief dive, <laughs> a, a shallow dive into some of these authors. And Edgar Allan Poe lived a difficult life. I I won't necessarily say that. He sort of like inhabited 
the world of these um, these stories that he told. And I, <laughs> let me just give you a quick blurb from the back of this. The essential collection of the American literary master of terror, death, murder, fantasy, and revenge. This is a, that's on an anthology book here by Penguin Classics called The Portable Edgar Allan Poe. Dahlia says, in French, amuse-bouche literally means it amuses the mouth. Interesting. I did not know that. That is good to know. Um, is it sort of used as like an appetizer? Is that, uh, is that the, the, general, the general idea of it? Or need it not necessarily be pre-meal fodder? Anyway. Um, what I want y'all to know about these two authors is essentially Lovecraft sort of lived outside of his world, but I think Edgar Allan Poe lived more in his um, this world of constantly, uh, of, 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 of uh, obsession with some of the more horrifying parts of simply everyday life, or the horrifying experiences of those people who do live in the real world. Not people who are, you know, dealing with eldritch horrors, but people who live and deal with terrors of the everyday, and... We shall go into more of what that means as we proceed through Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and with all that, folks, I think we can fairly get started on this one. I encourage you all to buckle up. Buckle up, buckle in. It's time to begin. Edgar Allan Poe's the Telltale Heart. And as per usual, if y'all have things you'd like to discuss, I would encourage you to put them in chat. <sighs> True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous I have been, and am. But why will you say I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all, the sense of hearing was acute. I heard all things in heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken, and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you. The whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me night and day. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I... I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture. A pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so, by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man. And thus to rid myself of that eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded. With what caution and what foresight. With what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it. Oh, so gently. And then when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, so that no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head. <laughs> oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. 
What would a madman have done so wise as this? And then, when my head was well within the room, I undid the lantern cautiously. Oh, so cautiously. Cautiously. For the hinges creaked. I undid it. Just so much that a single thin ray of light fell upon the vulturous eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed. And so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him as he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph to think that there I was, opening the door little by little, and he did not even dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back. No. His room was as black as pitch, with the thick darkness, for the shutters were close fastened through fear of robbers, and so I knew he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had slipped my head in, and I was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up on the bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up on the bed, listening, just as I have done night after night, listening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan. And I knew it was a groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief. No, no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night... Just at midnight, when all the world slept, it is welled from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say, I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him. Though I chuckled at heart. I knew he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been, ever since, growing upon him. He had been <laughs> trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, It is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor. <laughs> or it is merely a cricket who just made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with all of these suppositions, but he had found all in vain. All in vain! Because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard to feel the presence of my head within the room. 
when I had waited a very long time. Very patiently. Without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a single dim ray, like the threat of a spider, shot out from the crevice and fell upon the vulturous eye. It was open. Wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctiveness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones, but I could not see anything else of the old man's face or person. For I had directed the ray as if by instinct, precisely on the damn spot! <laughs> and now, have I not told you? What you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses. Now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier unto courage. But even yet I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meanwhile, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant the old man's terror must have been extreme it grew louder i say louder every moment do you mark it well i have told you that i am nervous so i am and now at the dead hour of the night amid the dreadful silence of that old house so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror Yet for some minutes longer I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst, and now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leapt into the room. He shrieked once. Once only. In an instant I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was as stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will no longer consider it when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected any kind of wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. The tub had caught all! <laughs> uh -oh, when I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking on the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, 
For what had I now to fear? There entered three men, who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. Uh, a shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for... What had I to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said. It was my own in a dream. <laughs> the old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search. Search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things, but ere long I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears. But still they sat and they chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct, and I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness until at last I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a, a heightened voice, yet the sound increased. And what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound. Uh, such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. <sighs> I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard not. I talked more quickly, more earnestly, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles, in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor and to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh, God, what can I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I'd been sitting and grated it upon the floorboards, but the noise rose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, it grew louder, and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they had not heard? Almighty God! No! No, they heard, they suspected. They knew they were making a mockery of my horror, and as I thought. And this, I think. But still, it was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocrite smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die, and now again, hark! Louder! 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 Villains! I shrieked. Dissemble no more! I admit the deed! Tear up the blanks! Here, here! It is the beating of his hideous heart! <laughs> that was a fun one, y'all. Oh man. <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. Okay, so a moment's discussion. Y'all, I hope you have have enjoyed this quite as much as I have because I certainly have. Also, can I just bring your attention to something really quickly? I'm going to take a moment to gloat for myself here. Not a single error. I should say not a single backtrack error. There was one point where I think I said like unnerving instead of um, 
uh, a similar word, but frankly, I think I probably made a total of four or five um, erroneous words in this. Other than that, I took one break to take a uh, two breaks to take a drink, and it was a clean read all the way through. That's over two thousand words. I didn't have to backtrack once. Hoo-sha! Okay, so, and now that I'm done feeling proud of myself, let's talk about that for a moment, shall we? Because this is what we do. This is Vintage Sidecar, and for anyone who doesn't know, my name is Sam. This is our Tuesday show where we shed some light on classic lit, and I love it. (laughs) Courier 6 says, if you like the stuff toward the beginning is an illustration of that feeling when you wake up at 1 a.m. and see a vaguely human shape, but you don't want to get up and investigate in case you are right. From the perspective of the shape... Indeed. Now, this is one thing I really want to talk about, Courier 6. This is, I don't think this is a faithful description, and I don't think it's intended to necessarily be a faithful description of, um, you know, a, a true, a true mental illness. I think we can agree on that much. I think this is the horror that people fear in their own minds. Now, what is the distinction here? I think this is a this is a story about scary stuff, right? And we're going to talk about scary stuff in a lot of different contexts. We've already discussed it quite at length with Frankenstein. We talked about the horror of the unknown. We've talked about the horror of 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 exclusion and loneliness. This I think this is my take on this story. I think this is a this is not a a an essay on genuine Genuine mental illness. This is a story of the the twists in our own minds that we fear. I don't know if I've understood your point entirely correctly, Courier 6. What I took from that is this is this is the shape in the night that we see and we we are afraid of. I think this is the shape. This is that thing in our own minds that we're afraid will break or that we will suddenly become this thing that obsesses, that is willing to do these things for for mad reasons. I think this is the voice of um, uh, dark urges. There, There's, oh, shoot, there's a name for it. What is it? It's like the Black Cliff or something. Um, but uh, sort of invasive thoughts. Everyone has them. This is this is a reality. Everyone has the has invasive thoughts. Um, these dark moments where you think about doing things or you think about things happening. Um, a lot of them can take the form of like you perpetrating something or even something as simple as like a Final Destination sort of like oh I I can imagine this scene from Final Destination. I'm I'm following behind the log truck or whatever or you know I'm watching someone doing kind of uh, doing work in a dangerous situation. I think this is. Edgar Allan Poe saying, this is, the, this is that part of our own minds that we're afraid of, the part that speaks unbidden, the part that, that says things we don't, we don't agree with and we don't want to talk about. Career Sex, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, Dahlia says, I grew up with a gilded and leather-bound copy of the Poe Collection Omnibus. Now, that's pretty cool. That is, that is quite cool. <laughs> Um, Orly Rose says the tone and pacing were phenomenal. Jem says, I remember quite well the first time I read this. Loverly Random says, I forgot the guy's only dead for a short time on one night. For some reason, I thought it was more than one night. Yeah, I think, um, uh, this, the, the way that time is handled in this. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, we talked a little bit about the author, how, you know, he lived kind of a, a darker life. And I do think he, he preoccupied over ideas like this, over, you know, this is not some monster. This is not some creature. This is the part of the part of one's own brain that's terrifying because it says things. It, it invents things. It imagines things that you don't want to participate in in any way. It's that it's that fear of that part of your own brain. Um, but. Uh, Cobra says, we do not talk about it, so it doesn't exist, or so we would like to think. Yeah, and I think, I think, frankly, it can be helpful to talk about it. I think it's, it's helpful to recognize that everyone has intrusive thoughts, and if this is something that you struggle with genuinely, there is help available for that. But, you know, much in the same way that I think, um, the great, the great horror directors and the great horror authors have specified 
the 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 specification here, um, and I think we can consider this uh, style. We can consider this uh, discussion of genre as well. Um, the way that they they will dig into specific elements of horror. It's it's okay, I guess, to try and just tell a story about scary things in general, but you will find that although it doesn't scare everyone the same, it scares some people the most to really specify. Um, it's why there are different distinctions of the horror genre. You will see religious horror. You will see uh, so you know demons and that sort of thing. Um, you will see supernatural horror, ghosts, etc. You will see, uh, you know, body horror, which we don't need to go go into because I'm. I'll say, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna necessarily say it's the cheapest genre of horror, but I think it has been the one that has been exploited most cheaply. I'll say that. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, and then, you know, the, the horrors like we're going to get into with, um, uh, with Lovecraft, which I find to be one of the most fascinating genres of horror, um, sort of the, the, the eldritch horror, the horror of, uh, simply being so insignificant as compared to the rest of time and the rest of space. But to jump back to what Loverly Random was saying, uh, Loverly Random, I'll just remind y'all, said, I forgot the guy's only dead for a short time on one night. For some reason, I thought it was more than one night. Let's take a look at this, uh, at the pace of this. That's kind of the headline you can put over this. Uh, the pacing of this story is, it is like fervent and breakneck. And perhaps because of that, but perhaps as a counter to that, it covers so little time. Right? It covers one week, but frankly, that one week is covered in a paragraph or two. After that, what we've got is his description of a single night. And if we can zoom in even further, which I think we can, much of those 2,000 plus words were dedicated to exploring, I would say, probably a single hour or two within the night. One, maybe two hours. That is a lot of description for one period of time, but it is that it is that hyper focus. It is that thing which I think again, this and we've talked about it a lot, but maybe this is your first introduction to vintage sidecar where we talk about uh, uh, classic lit. I've always held that the value of Art is distinct from the value of science, mathematics, etc. The value of those things is in their objectivity. They are this, they're true the same for everyone. That's the difference between science and art. And art, the value of art to me is in its subjectivity. It's that we each come to it looking at it in a different way. And that, that value is there because we can see it differently. And maybe you all see it differently. But for me... I think this pace is sort of, it's there to contribute to that overall sense of, boy, I've had moments like this, not entirely like this, obviously, but, you know, I think we can all identify, maybe, maybe, you know, I think a lot of times we try to put them out of our mind, these intrusive thoughts that may come up, but you may think, boy, I hate this person, um, and frankly, a lot of times, I find that it is, it's not even people that I have strong emotions about. It's just suddenly like I'll have this like scene from a movie sort of overlay, not literally. This, this all makes me sound very close to the protagonist of this story, doesn't it? No, it, um, it, uh, it's not like a true overlay. It's simply like you, it, it will suddenly sort of morph with this. And I'll just have this moment. It's one split second where I imagine something truly terrible. It's not something I want to entertain. It's not something I would ever want to participate in. It just it it comes and it goes. Um, I think it's the it's the, one of the one of the most common ones that people talk about is standing at the edge of a very tall cliff or a building or something, and just the thought of like, what if I jumped? It's that kind of intrusive thought, and I think this overall pace is it contributes to that horror that I think Poe is trying to explore, which is the horror of. What if I had that thought on the edge of that building? 
The Call of the Void. Thank you, Rubik's Gaming. Good grief. Uh, I don't know if anybody else also said it, but Rubik's Gaming says The Call of the Void. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, The Call of the Void. I think the pace contributes to this idea that Poe is trying to get across. It's the horror of that moment of standing at the top of that cliff. And you have that passing thought of, what if I jumped? And you get stuck there. You get stuck in that thought. You can't get away from it. That part of your brain that's usually quiet, it will occasionally scream something from way, way down below that you can then go, eh, shut it. I think this pace is one of, wait a second, you know, I, boy, I can't stand that eye. Uh, the thought will pass. What if I kill them? It'll it'll pass. It's not passing. I think that's the horror that Poe is trying to get across here. And like I said, I could be wrong, but um, this is this is sort of how I see it. I see this as an exploration of that call of the void, and. The fear that that void is much more meaningful than you give it credit for. And, and for most of us, it really is not very meaningful. Um, the uh, I want to make this note as sort of like a, a quick uh, sort of like mental health update on this. For some people, like I said, if you if you do get, you know, if, if you find that in your life you have a, a difficult time fending off these intrusive thoughts, um, uh, there are resources available for that. And you are, you are not alone and you are not going to suffer that forever. But... Coming back to this sort of as a as a horror genre, I think this thing that we fear of of possibly being overcome by that moment, by that momentary, uh, very temporary you know, fit of, of just the, you know the synapses in your brain firing, the idea of getting stuck there, and not being able to avoid it. Lovely Random says, maybe I'm thinking of another adaptation slash take on this, like one episode of a show doing a plot line loosely based on this story. Well, Lovely Random, uh, you may be thinking about one involving some cats. Uh, I'll give you that hint so far, and maybe that will sort of help you to come back around to it. Uh, Cobra says... I find that I like to lock things up in a box, but the problem is that the box opens at some point, and what comes out is worse than when it went in. I think some people do end up doing that, and I think for, for many people, um, one is able to take these these intrusive thoughts and simply put them away, um, uh, and and they're not things that really come back. Uh, and so, again, yeah, if you find that this this becomes an interruption to your life, the whether the thoughts themselves or the effort you have to put forward to overcome them, I would certainly encourage you to uh, um, to you know grab some grab some. This is not specifically directed at Cobra, but just anyone who feels this way. Um, life is interrupted by this then certainly you know seek some seek some help about this because there is help available for it um but uh yeah i think i think in general it's the sort of thing that sort of pops up and then never comes back or if it does come back it's just like oh i remember you yeah no i've stood on the edge of this cliff before i remember yeah i was like oh what if i jumped oh yeah boy what if sun's great today though it goes away and uh, i think i think this book has or this short story has been kind of a an interesting little foray into but what if it didn't go away that's the fear that's the fear that i think poe is trying to get across here now i'm going to do a very very brief little synopsis of this just for those folks who you know you followed along but maybe it was my my frenetic delivery maybe it was uh simply the the some of the the words used i'm going to give a quick synopsis of just some of the main points of this and then we're going to move on to our next book for today uh, our next little story, which um, it is going to be Lovecraft. It is going to be a shorter, uh, even among Lovecraft's shorter stories. So if y'all have guesses, I want to hear what they are for our Lovecraft story for today. So the Telltale Heart. Um, we essentially, we begin with uh, someone relaying this story. This is a sort of uh, first-person narration. The protagonist is the one telling the story directly. Um, so that is the point of view from our protagonist. Um this person uh, insists that they are not mad, mad in this case um, being meaning crazy, uh, insisting that, no, it's not that, it's that I, it's my senses, they work too well, especially my hearing. One thing I want to draw everyone's attention to is that in the first couple of paragraphs here, this protagonist is unable to even identify why they 
killed the old man, and they just sort of hit upon this idea of like this this eye. Apparently the old man had this eye like a vulture. We don't get a name for this old man, nothing. All we know is that these two people lived together, the protagonist and this old man. Um, the protagonist says, I love the old man, but this eye, this vulture-like eye. Yeah, that must have been it. That must have been why. And then over the rest of the story, um, this person, over the course of one week, obsesses over this eye and slowly, night after night, will peek into the old man's bedroom. But every night, the old man's eyes are closed because he's sleeping. The protagonist has sort of vowed to themselves that they will murder the old man to be free of this eye, which, again, they didn't really identify until the second or third paragraph of the story, but that's apparently not important. Continues to creep in, and then on the eighth night, the protagonist makes a noise. The old man's not asleep, and that is the night when the protagonist can see the eye, and so the protagonist rushes in, murders the old man, and then chops him up in, uh, in a bathtub and puts the body underneath the floorboards. During the process of the murder, he sort of covered the old man's face with a mattress and and suffocated him, but he can hear the heartbeat going. And then after the murder, after the after he puts the body beneath the floorboards, um, who knows why it took so long, but just after that, still the same night, some policemen show up. And they are here to investigate a, a, a shout that they heard. It was the old man. But the protagonist invites them inside and says, no, please, come in, look around, look thoroughly. As a matter of fact, have a seat right here in this room, the room of the victim. And as they talk, the protagonist hears a sound again. Thump, 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 thump. It's, it's the heart. The protagonist can hear the heart underneath the floorboards. He checked. The old man is dead. The old man's in pieces. Surely it can't... And over the course of this conversation, that truly pushes the protagonist to the edge, and he breaks down, shouting, look under the floorboards, the body is there. I can hear the heart. And that is the telltale heart. The heart is telling telling its own tale, sort of like a telltale sort of means like like the telltale signs, whatever. These are like the big hints or the big clues. And so this telltale heart is this heart that is giving away its own murder. The protagonist can hear it underneath the floorboards. Um, the main characters are the protagonist, the old man, who I think one could feasibly consider the antagonist in this in this book. Uh, and then there are these policemen. If you wanted to get really schmancy with it, you might even you might even call the heart itself the antagonist. But that may be going a little too far. Um, and then I think we've discussed at uh, at some fair length some of the themes here, um, of uh, sort of the 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 terror of the call of the abyss, call of the void. Excuse me. So. There is the quick recap, y'all. Thank you very very much for listening to. The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe.